0: Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. There's an error in the bulletin today. The Old Testament reading is from Psalm 85. Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The New Testament reading is from Luke 1, 46 through 55. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. If you happened to arrive late, uh, you wouldn't have heard that our bulletin is is full of errors today. So, despite what the bulletin says, I am preaching out of Psalm 85. Uh, it is. In, uh, it's on. You can use the Bible in the pews if you want. It's on page 462. If you want to follow along, uh, we have been looking at different psalms throughout Advent, and the first two songs were two psalms were a lot about waiting and lamenting. What does it mean that Advent is a time of yes, joy, but also waiting? The wait, though, as probably you know, is almost over, right? Right, kids? It's almost over. Maybe you get one present tonight and the rest tomorrow. Well, I want us to ask, uh, partly, what are we really waiting for? And is it really going to be worth the wait? Is what Christmas supposed to be about, is it really worth all of this Pomp and circumstance, is it worth the wait? Is it worth what Christians say it is? And what is it meant to point us to? The Psalms throughout church history are considered both the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of the church. So what would it mean for us to pray this today? Let's, let's pray ourselves and then we'll jump into Psalm 85. Lord, we do give you praise that you have brought us together. You have gathered us as your body. And we do pray that you would uh, speak, speak now by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would comfort those who are broken hearted, full of lament and sorrow. That you would challenge those who are hard hearted, who need to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and that you would make us more And more like Jesus, we pray in his name. All right, so I want to look at three different points in Psalm 85. And the first one is really about the joy that the psalmist has. He is rejoicing in the past. First three verses, he is reminding himself and, oddly, God of what God has done. So this... Psalm is not quite absolute desperation like we have seen in some other psalms. Psalm 13 last week just starts. How long? Just first verse. How long? That's not quite where we're at today. He has at least some sort of peace of mind. He has some sort of consciousness that he can remember just how good God is. If you aren't quite sure how to start, you can start in this way. Just start praying with verses 1 through 3. God, you are wonderful. You have been forgiving. You have withdrawn your anger. You have justified those who have sinned against you. He is able to look to the past with some sort of clear mindedness and say, praise God. There is a lot to be thankful for. Christians, of course, can do the same thing as the psalmist does. We can say it even better. We know what he has done. There's a reason why joy dominates the Christmas season, why it dominates the Christmas songs, why angels are all over the place. There is so much to look back and remember and give him praise it takes courage takes courage sometimes if you are in a hard season but we can simply look back and say praise god Christians are a historical people no matter what we are going through right now you can simply look back in the past and say, yes, but Jesus has come. He has died. And nothing that you are going through right now changes the reality of that past. Amen? We can look back and we can rejoice too, just as the psalmist has. The joy, ironically, We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. The joy, ironically, gives us a sort of courage to then deepen our sense of anguish when we look to the present. And so this, this psalm is not quite full lament. It's kind of light lament. So then in verse 4, he starts to wonder. When he stops looking at the past and he looks around at the present, and now he is saying, but what are you doing now? Where are you? Based on the very... Faith that he has, he can cry out to God. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Will you be angry with us forever? There's a question. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice? He is clearly full of sorrow, full of suffering. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This is essential to the Christian faith. It's part of what faith leads us to feel. When we taste Jesus, we see he's not seemingly everywhere, is he? doesn't feel that way. And sometimes Christmas itself can feel that way, right? Christmas for a lot of us is a time where we remember all that we have lost throughout the year. I had a relative who literally passed away at the dinner table on Christmas Day. And so Christmas for them will be a reminder, it's an anniversary of his death. I know that's true for some of us as well. And that is perfectly appropriate to the Christian faith. (coughs) To grieve, to lament. Again, if you need words, God provides us even the words to say. Just say these words. Restore us again. Show us your steadfast love. Grant us Your salvation, cry out, petition. But the magnitude of what has happened in Christ does show us how far away we may be in this world, yes. But it also shows us that God's vision still wins. The future, just as the past is certain in what Christ has done, the future, too, is certain. And so that's what I want to spend the bulk of the sermon in, the last point, simply realizing just how amazed at the future the psalmist is. First of all, did you notice in verse 8, despite the suffering that he is in the midst of, he wants God to speak. Verse 8 says, let me hear What God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Even in the midst of his sorrow, he's saying, I want to hear from you, God. I I know who you are and I know what you have done. So I want you to speak. And he knows what he's going to say. He's going to say peace. Peace. Peace being that big biblical word of shalom, cosmic harmony, cosmic peace and righteousness, where God will reign by sight and by faith. That's what he wants to hear. That's what we're told we have. In Christ, Romans 5 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want God to speak? Some of us maybe don't really want Him to speak. We're not sure what He's going to say. We don't want to hear from Him. But We ought to. It's sad to me. Maybe this is obvious to you, but, you know, preach has has become a derogatory term. Don't preach to me. I don't want you to preach. That is so sad. Not just because I'm a preacher. But preach literally means announce the good news. That's what it means. Now, of course, when we say don't preach, we mean what? Don't condemn me self-righteously. Well, I don't, wouldn't want that either. But preach, yes. We all need to preach to ourselves. We need people to preach to us. Not just when we're sitting in pews at church. We need it reminded to us all the time. Tell me. Tell me, tell me, what does God say? I forget. My sin tells me to forget. My suffering tries to convince me that God is is not going to win. And then the gospel comes along and says, no, God has, in fact, won in Jesus. Preach, please. Proclaim it on the rooftops. He wants God to speak. And then... We have an incredible, an amazingly beautiful verse in verse 10. I'm sorry it's not in your bulletin, but it is beautiful. Verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Here on out, the psalmist seems to just get caught up in this vision of who God is and what he will do. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. The amazing thing here about steadfast love and faithfulness meeting is that you would have thought they were opposed to each other. Not quite sure if faithfulness is the right word there. Other translations, if you're curious, have graciousness and truth. Or love and faithfulness. The old KJV has mercy and truth. New living has unfailing love and truth. NRSV has what we have. CSB has faithful love and truth. Those capture more the contrast of what the psalmist is amazed that they are meeting. That Steadfast grace, or mercy, and truth are coming together. The things that we think are opposites, love and holiness, or as he does say, righteousness and peace, are coming together. We think we have to sacrifice one or the other often. Are you more of a love without truth person or a truth without love person? I think that's the kind of dynamic we have here. Love without truth, that's, that's maybe the more sentimental, sappy. That's kind of what Christmas is to a lot of our culture, maybe. It's just sappy, romantic, has nothing to do with actual reality. That's love without truth not really taking into account. But we need to put things right. There needs to be justice. You don't want to have just love without justice, right? That's the love without truth. But, of course, we struggle maybe with truth without love. Trying to, trying to be so truthful you forget you actually care about the person you're talking to that's maybe what a lot of people stereotype christians to be like truth without love without wanting to invest in an actual person to be patient and caring well in god they meet in God they meet. It's not quite clear what it, how much could the psalmist have known, but he did know that this is what God describes himself as. Because back in Exodus 33, God reveals himself in a fantastic way. Exodus 33, Moses is going back and forth with God. Israel has done the golden calf. And then God says, okay, I will reveal myself to you, Moses. This is one of the climaxes of Exodus, and it says, "The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed to the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in mercy. And truth. And yet, you have throughout redemptive history this kind of back and forth. Back and forth. God has promised to be with his people. He has promised Abraham. But if he is simply just to them, they will be condemned. They will be cast out. They will be exiled as they are later. In history and so we can come and say steadfast love and faithfulness meet finally they reveal themselves you could say in Jesus Christians can say verse 10 even better because in John 1 we read the word became flesh And dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. And then you ask, who is this? Word became flesh. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John's translation of steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus, we are told, is the one who is full of grace and truth. Just as in Romans 3, when he's talking about the cross, he tells us that in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It's as if the perfect meeting of a holy God and our sin had not quite happened. Nobody had fully gotten what sin deserves until Jesus. That's what happens on the cross. And so what we have in the coming of Jesus is the future come early. Yes, the psalmist is looking to the future, and what we as Christians look back to is the future come early in both a cosmic and a personal sense. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Did you notice Mary's song, the so-called Magnificat, often put to song throughout the history of the church? This is before Jesus has even been born. She already knows so much. The humble will be lifted up. The proud will be cast down. His mercy will come from generation to generation. The promise that he made to Abraham which for Mary was still like 1,500 years ago, has finally been fulfilled in her child. Excuse me. At least I moved the mic in time, right? Excuse me. What Mary and so much of the New Testament ends up telling us is that what has happened in Jesus, it's as if the end has begun, that the final day, the so-called judgment day, has already begun. That's why we can say we have already been justified because of what has happened in Jesus. We already stand justified, righteous, forgiven because the judgment day that was supposed to come in the future has already happened in Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit descends upon the church. The Holy Spirit that was promised to only come at the last days comes in Acts 2. The end of the old world has begun. And the beginning of the new world has started. That's what the birth of Jesus means. It has a cosmic, cosmic significance. Whatever we end up making Christmas about, it can be about a lot of different things, right? In our culture, maybe at its best, it points us to. And maybe as you're getting gifts, kids, maybe try to see that this is just a glimpse, it's just a pointer, a tiny little sign that the world will never be the same, that the world has fundamentally changed in Jesus. In heaven and earth, when they are finally redeemed, we will partake of this steadfast love and faithfulness fully. The promise that they're waiting for in the land, they're they're asking for rain, they're asking for the promise to their specific land in Israel. That promise will be global. But I said it was both cosmic and personal, it's not just abstract. Mary says, what wonderful things God has done for me. That's right. For me. And so this combination of truth and love, where else do we see it? Some of you may know in Ephesians 4, when Paul is talking about the church. The church of all things is described this way. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The church is supposed to be a foretaste of that very future. Come early. That's amazing. May not always feel that way, but it is meant to be a place where we are actually speaking the truth in love. Where steadfast love and faithfulness from the Lord has Come. Is that your experience? Is that your experience of God? This combination of truth and intimacy. I'm doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple and rereading through Keller's book on marriage. And marriage is, of course, just a picture of the church, right? And he describes it as... Radical truth and radical intimacy. Or as the Bible tells us, naked and unashamed. That's amazing, right? To have a relationship, to have a God who knows you better than you know yourself. Some of us don't really know ourselves at all. Some of us have some self-knowledge. God knows you even better than you know yourself. And he loves you. Because we think if people were to get to know me, if they were to really get to know me, they're not going to want to draw near. They're going to step back. But in Jesus, we see the exact opposite. Don't you see the picture here of the word become flesh is Like absolute truth and holiness and righteousness, absolute knowledge of the world. (laughs) Remember that. He knows what the world is like. He knows sin and how evil it is, worse than we can even hate our worst enemy. And what does he do? He comes. He comes. To dwell with us, to set up shop. Because his knowledge does not scare himself away. His knowledge does not scare the holy and righteous God who knows all things, it doesn't scare him away. So that's why I put that quote in your bulletin, in that insert from The Soul of Shame. I've been rereading it since I recommended you guys read it. And just this week, I came across this quote. To be fully loved and to fully love requires that we are fully known. Absolute joy comes not just in my having some random joyful engagement with something or someone. Rather, absolute joy must eventually include my being completely known, especially those parts that in subtle human ways have carried shame, often without my conscious awareness. This is the language of the new heaven and new earth. This is the work that God alone has initiated and in which He longs for us to join Him. For God longs to be known by us as much as He longs for us to be known by him do you know god that way do you allow yourself to be known by god and by his people in this way we don't have to think that truth and holiness and righteousness compete with love intimacy Vulnerability. They don't compete anymore. They don't compete. Because in Christ, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That is what we get to celebrate. And so we wait. Yes, we wait. We may have things to lament, certainly, if we're paying attention, but we know, we know because Christ has already come that he will come again to claim what is his and righteousness and peace will shower down throughout his world, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.